contemplations before chanting. The Sangha is invited to come back to our breathing so that our collective energy of mindfulness will bring us together as an organism, going as a river with no more separation. Let the whole Sangha breathe as one body, chant as one body, listen as one body, and transcend the boundaries of a delusive self, liberating from the superiority complex, the inferiority complex, and the equality complex.
morning, dear Sangha. The bus will come late uh, this afternoon, so we shall have a lot of time together. Lunch will be a little bit late today. We will be hungry. We have to offer Ajahn Sengwai lunch on time because uh, in the Theravada tradition, we should eat after, after the time, afternoon time. Yesterday we spoke about uh, investigation. We spoke about uh, we spoke about the separate investigation of the phenomenon and the noumenon. The phenomenon and the ontological. And uh, that is about the Buddhist methodology. Tấn tướng biệt quán. The separate investigation of the ontological and the phenomenal. But we have learned that uh, the ontological is not something that is apart from the phenomenon. When we touch the phenomenon deeply enough, we touch the ontological. It's the same cloud, but if we touch the cloud superficially, we only see the birth and the death of the cloud. But the existence and the non-existence of the cloud, this cloud and the other cloud. So all these, uh, all these notions can be applied to the cloud. The cloud can exist, can cease to exist. The cloud is born, the cloud can die. This cloud is not the other cloud. We use our mind of discrimination in order to, to look at the cloud. And we only touch the phenomenal aspect of the cloud. We are in the realm of uh, conventional truth. Conventional truth. But if uh, we use mindfulness, concentration, 
and look more deeply, we will discover that uh, the, our cloud, that same cloud, is free from birth and death, being and non-being. And we touch the ontological cloud of the cloud, the same cloud. And, uh, and uh, this is the realm of uh, the ultimate truth. Paramatta Satya is Samriti Satya. So we can uh, we can talk about uh, classical science and modern science very much in the same way. In classical science, represented by Newton, we distinguish uh, mind and body, the objective, the subjective mind, and the objective uh, nature as two separate things. Whether I observe or not, nature is the same. So nature is independent from my mind. And that is the realm of... uh, Conventional truth. Conventional truth. And objects, they can be located in space and time. And this is not that. We are in a realm of uh, conventional truth. But when we touch that, uh, the object of conventional truth deeply, we touch the ultimate truth. And we find that notions like birth and death, being and non-being, coming and non- and going, can no longer be applied to the same thing, to the same object of inquiry. And that is why the first principle that we have to follow in Buddhist methodology is the separate investigation of the ontological and the noumenal. When you go to the ontological uh, dimension, you can no longer use words and notions that you have used in the realm of uh, conventional uh, proof. We have repeated this, uh, I think, uh, 50 times already in this retreat. (laughs) (laughs) But according to the Buddhist methodology, there is another principle that comes and helps us out. Because in order to, to touch this uh, realm of conventional truth, we need the mind of discrimination, the wisdom of di- discrimination.
Vikanpa jnana. But in order to touch this dimension of truth, we we should use uh, the mind of non-discrimination. But how? How to change the instrument? Because in science they have many instruments, like accelerator and things so on. But the instrument that is basic behind is your mind. And in Buddhist tradition, we, we take care of our mind because that is the only instrument. Our mind should, be, should not be overloaded with, uh, with uh, discrimination, with fear, with anger, with uh, prejudices. And that is why the yogi, the practitioner, has to purify her mind, purify his mind in order for understanding, true understanding, to be possible. But in the realm of science, uh, people talk more about, more about uh, sophisticated uh, instruments, but they don't talk enough about how to make the best of uh, our mind, which is the basic instrument. If you are overloaded with uh, prejudices, preconceived ideas, you are overloaded with... Um, worries and fear and anger, our mind is not a good instrument. And that we have already uh, considered. But now, with, uh, uh, through the principle of uh, separate investigation of uh, phenomenal and nominal, we have another principle called uh, Tân Biệt Quán. Tung Tung Nhập Quán Tung Tung Nhập Tấn There is a way that you can proceed from the phenomenal to the nominal. There is a way, a gradual way by which you can Proceed from the conventional realm of truth to the realm of ultimate truth. And I think this is uh, a question from modern science. How can you start from the law of classical science in order to go to the law of the, of the quantum physics? On the way, you have to let go of many of your notions, of course. But what is the way? And in Buddhism, this problem is dealt with in details. You begin with uh, the realm of uh, phenomena, lakshana, nimitta. You begin with this but you gradually penetrate into the noumena, the ontological ground. 
the ambition of modern science is to knock at the door of the ultimate, the door, the ontological ground. They want to see, to know the very basic fabric of reality. So, so we need some skill. The, the, medita- the meditator, the yogi, has to be skillful, has to learn how to make use of the mind of discrimination in order to come to the mind of non-discrimination. There should not be any conflict between the two, between the two, uh, uh, two kind of truth, because the two kind of truth they are both useful. So that is why in the teaching of the Buddha, there is the teaching of uh, skillfully using uh, the teaching, the the practice, in order to come to term with uh, uh, the ultimate, you begin with the conventional truth, and there is a way that you can in order for you to slowly penetrate into the realm of ultimate truth and you don't see the conflict. And that is why you are still free to make use of the two kinds of truth. We know that uh, Lavoisier is uh, that French scientist who had discovered the truth of uh, no birth and no death in chemistry. Rien ne se crée, rien ne se perd. Antoine Laurent Lavoisier. Rien ne se crée. And uh, this is the vision he got. And scientists agree about that, and that is why we have the law, the first law of thermodynamics, the law of conservation of matter, the law of conservation of uh, energy. You cannot create matter. You cannot destroy matter. You cannot create energy. You cannot destroy energy. The nature of everything is no birth and no death. No becoming and no no coming, no going. And when you when you remove when you when you are able to remove the notion of birth and death the notion of being and non-being will collapse at the same time. 
this we have already uh, seen uh, talk about quite a few times in this retreat. These two pairs of opposite, birth and death, being and non-being, they are linked together. And this is what we have found both in the Buddhist tradition and the scientific, the science tradition. We have found that uh, there is really no birth and no death before a, uh, the amount uh, of matter entering into a, a chemical reaction, and that the amount that uh, come out of the chemical reaction, they are exactly the same, the same mass. Nothing is added, nothing is lost. Renal repair. There's no uh, increasing, no decreasing. It's like the Heart Sutra. But Lavoisier was uh, executed by guillotine. And we asked the question whether when he was about to be to be executed, could he could he see the vision of no birth and no death? If uh, if Sucre Renosphere is some only ideas in his head, he will be If that is only an intellectual notion, that is something grasped only by the intellect, that could not be enough to remove the fear of non-being. Because uh, for us, to die means you go to the realm of non-being. You don't want to go to the realm of non-being. So in the Buddhist tradition, it's very clear that no birth and no death as notions are not helpful enough. No birth and no death as a theory, as a law, is not helpful enough because they remain, that remain in the realm of the intellect. And that is why in the Buddhist tradition we speak of samadhi. Samadhi is a kind of insight that can be maintained for a long time. Samadhi, uh, translated in Chinese, is Dante. I mean, you keep it, you maintain it on the same level. <coughs> you keep it in the inside. So you maintain that vision, that insight, alive. And that is concentration. 
So concentration samadhi is not just uh, a notion. It is uh, the insight of no birth and no death that can help you not to be afraid of birth and death and not the idea of no birth and no death. The idea of no birth and no death is a good idea. (laughs) But that is not enough to dissipate your fear of being and non-being. And a practitioner should be skillful enough to make use of the idea of no birth and no death in order to produce the insight of no birth and no death. We have to distinguish between the idea of no self and the insight of no self. The idea of no birth and no death and the insight of no birth and no death. The idea of no birth or no death is like the match. We need the match in order to produce the flame. The flame represents the insight of no birth and death. So if you worship the idea, you don't go very far. If you worship the idea of no self, interbeing, nirvana, you don't go very far. Because that is only a, a notion. But a practitioner always knows how to make good use of the notion in order to produce insight. The notion of, of no birth and no death can be used in order to produce the insight of no birth and no death. And when the insight of no birth and no death manifests, it begins to consume the notion, to consume the notion of uh, no birth and no death. And when the insight of no birth and no death consume and destroy the idea of no birth and no death, and you are free, you are free from the notion of no birth and no death. Because you can be a slave of the teaching of impermanence, no self, interbeing, if uh, these are just notions. So the match is the notion and the notion should help us produce the insight. And when insight is born, it destroys the notion, and you are free from the notion. You are not a worshipper anymore, even of a notion. Even the notion of no birth, no death, and interbeing. That is the freedom we speak in Buddhism. You are free from the Buddha. You are free from Buddhism. You are free from everything you learn in Buddhism. You are not a slave anymore. Because you know how to make good use of the teaching in order to, to produce insight. And that is why in Buddhism we speak about the teaching, the Dharma, as a finger. The function of finger is to point to the moon. If you are caught 
in the finger, you think this is the moon. You need skillfulness. And the practitioner should be an artist, should be skillful enough in order not to be caught in notions, even wonderful notions, like interbeing, no birth, no death, and so on. So there is in Buddhism a kind of uh, wisdom called the uh, wisdom of adaptation. Anu Loma Jana Jana This is a, a kind of uh, wisdom that is very skillful. It's making use of notions and concepts in order to lead us out of notions and concepts. We know that uh, the ultimate is free from the notion of being and non-being. So our attempt is to get out of the notion of being, to be free from the notion of being, right? But you risk to fall into the notion of non-being. The people who who want to to die, to commit suicide, They think that being is too hard. The burden of being is too hard. And they aspire to something opposite. They aspire to non-being. And they think non-being is better, easier to take. They are caught by both notions. So there is a tendency to run away from being in order to attain being. This is a bhava. Who? This is a bhava. Vo. So with... uh, the wisdom of adaptation, skillfulness, 
you try to help people out of the notion of being and not to fall into the trap of non-being. For instance, using the word interbeing. The word interbeing contains the word being. You still, you, you are still using the word being, but with the, the notion, with the meditation on interbeing, you slowly go out of, of being, of the notion of being. And yet you do not fall into the abyss of non-being. And when we consider a flower, <coughs> this is the meditation. We look into the flower and we see that a flower is made of non-flower elements. This statement is a skillful way helping us to come out of the notion of being. When we look into the flower, we see non-flower elements like cloud, sunshine, soil, seed, time, space, consciousness, everything in the cosmos. In fact, a flower is made only of non-flower elements. And that can be applied to everything else. When we speak of deep ecology, you have to look with that kind of wisdom. Man is made only of non-man elements, namely animal element, vegetable element, mineral element. And if you remove all the animal, vegetal, and uh, mineral out of man, there is no man left. So man is made of non-man elements. Flower is made of non-flower elements. And even Buddha is made only of non-Buddha elements. And this, when you pronounce a word, a name, you designate... uh, uh, an object, and whatever that object is, you can say the same thing. It is made of non-it element. And that is a skillful way to see that this flower cannot be by herself alone. She has no separate existence. She is made of non-her element. That is why she can only interbe with us. She cannot be by herself alone. And looking in that way, we are free from the notion of being. And the notion of interbeing come and rescue us. But interbeing should not only be a notion. 
the notion of interbeing should help us to get the insight of interbeing. And that is why the notion of emptiness arises. This flower is full of the cosmos. You cannot describe it as empty, no. This flower is full of everything. The whole cosmos have come together in order to help a flower, the flower to manifest. So it contains the whole cosmos in it. The one, the one contains the all. But why in the Heart Sutra, Avalokita say that uh, everything is empty? Form is empty, feelings is empty, perception is empty, mental formations are empty, consciousness is empty. So you should ask the Bodhisattva, dear Bodhisattva, you say that everything is empty. I'd like to ask you this question. Empty of what? Empty of what? When you say full, full of what? Full of the cosmos. But if it is empty, so it is empty of what? And the answer is that, yes, the Buddhist will tell us, you are right, the flower is full of the cosmos. Full perfectly full of the cosmos. It is only empty of one thing, and that is a separate self, a separate existence, a separate being, because a flower cannot be by herself alone. She needs all the non-flower elements in order to manifest. So she can only be. She cannot be. The notion of be is just a notion that cannot be applied to reality. And that way, we, are, we come out of the notion be, to be. And thanks to the skillfulness of the, of the notion interbeing. When we read the Heart Sutra, the heart of perfect understanding. The second paragraph, listen Shariputra. Form is emptiness, and emptiness is form. Form is a rupa. Rupa, matter, lamachek. Our body is described as form, lamachek vivant. Form is emptiness.
But the sutra continues, and emptiness is formed. Form is emptiness, and emptiness is form. And the sutra continues like that. Only repetition. Form is not other than emptiness, and emptiness is not other than form. There's no mistake about it. Form is emptiness, and emptiness is form. What we can see is that emptiness is not non-being. Because non-being is not form. Right? But emptiness can be form. So you have, the first thing we have to see is that there is a difference between emptiness and non-being. Being and non-being cannot be applied to either form and emptiness. So many, many people mix up the two notions, emptiness and non-being. Let us look at this uh, glass. This glass is uh, empty. Empty of what? It's not empty of air, it's full of air. So the question is very helpful. Mr. Bodhisattva, you say that things are empty. I'd like to ask you, empty of what? It's a good question. So this glass is empty of tea, but full of air. So in order to be full or to be empty, the glass has to be there. So emptiness does not, not mean does not mean inexistence, non-being. You see? So both form and emptiness are free from being and non-being. And then if you continue, we see that all dhammas are marked with emptiness. The characteristic of everything is emptiness. And emptiness here does not mean non-existent. Emptiness here means not having a separate existence. You cannot be, you can only interbe. If you take, remove your parents, your ancestors out of you, there is no you left. So you into R with your ancestors. You into R with the cosmos. So interbeing is a skillful notion that can help us getting out of the notion of self, of our being, and at the same time, the notion of non-being. In the realm of conventional truth, to be or not to be 
it was a question. But when you come to the realm of uh, ultimate truth, to be and not to be, that is no longer a question. They are neither produced nor destroyed. No birth and no death. So the Hasutra deal with the ultimate truth and help us to remove notions like being and non-being, birth and death, neither increasing nor decreasing. And you can compare the law, the first law of thermodynamics. The law of conservation of uh, energy and matter is very interesting. <coughs> so there is a kind of wisdom called the wisdom of uh, ad- adaptation that is the inside of uh, con- conditional genesis. in order for us to touch the truth of uh, emptiness, which means uh, the ultimate reality. And we have in this booklet a sutra that speaks about using the wisdom of adaptation in order to touch the truth of emptiness without any conflict at all. That is uh, on page 24. The third paragraph, the Buddha offers the Dharma, offers the teaching on the adaptation of conditioned genesis connected with emptiness, a holy and supramundane truth. So begin with uh, conditioned genesis, interbeing. And uh, the first statement is, uh, this is because that is. So, 
nhật thừa hữu tức bị hữu So, in the beginning we see this and that. Two separate things. And that is the beginning. We see things outside of each other. You are outside of me. The Father is outside of the Son. That is what David Bohm described as the explicit order, the explicit order. (coughs) David Bohm. In this order, things are outside of each other. The sun is outside of the moon. The earth is outside of the sun. The father is outside of the daughter. The daughter is outside of the mother. Every object has a position, different position in space and time. They can be by themselves. They can be by themselves. And that is the first glance. But we begin with the with the teaching of uh, interdependence, independent co-arising. It means uh, a flower is made only of non-flower elements. All the non-flower elements come together in order to help a flower to arise. And the flower is there because all the non-flower elements are there. If the non-flower elements are not there, the flower cannot be. So the flower contains all the non-flower elements. But when we, uh, we speak uh, this is because that is, we might be caught in the idea that this should be there first in order for the other to be possible later. We can be caught in the frame of uh, space and time. The, the, the this should be there 
First, in order for the dad would come. Father should be there first in order the son to come. <laughs> but we are going to to see that this kind of thinking is not uh, right thinking yet. Suppose we look at this sheet of paper and uh, we describe this side of the sheet of paper, the left, the left side, recto, and this verso, left and right. This is because that is. Which come first? Which come first? The left and the right, they exist outside of each other or inside of each other. In the beginning, we think that the left cannot be the right. The left must be out of the right. The left maybe must be the enemy of the right. The French people are going to vote uh, this, uh, <laughs> this uh, Sunday, and they are thinking in terms of right and left. <laughs> and this is a, an opportunity for us to see into the true nature of right and left. And we find out that the left is made of the right, and vice versa. So, we don't need the left to be to be there first in order for the right to come later. It's impossible. The left can never be alone. The left must be accompanied always with the right. And the left and the right manifest at the same time. It's like the above and the below. Now we don't have left, right anymore, but we have the above and the below. And the above and the below They manifest at the same time. <coughs> they lean on each other to, to be. So this and that are not separate things. So our notion that this and that are two separate things we have wrong. The same thing is true with our mind, our perception. In our perception there is the subject of perception the subject of cognition and the object of cognition. And we think that there is a, a consciousness existing separately inside of us and reaching out to the reality outside called nature. So subject and object Perceiver and perceived. Are thought to be two separate entities. And many scientists still believe in that. Still are still caught in that dualistic thinking of subject and object. And so on. In fact, subject and object, they manifest at the same time in just one millisecond or less. 
So the other day we spoke of uh, a perception. A perception can last just in one very short moment, a flash. Suppose this is a, a perception, and as soon as finish uh, drawing the circle, we are caught. <laughs> we are caught that this is a perception, and uh, everything else is not perception. And there is things inside the perception, and there are things outside of perception. So anything you say, anything you do, can be dangerous. Better not to say anything, not to do anything. <laughs> and that is why in the Zen tradition, they said, they said that uh, the path of talking, the path of thinking, should be cut. Ngôn ngữ đạo đoạn The root, the path of uh, speech is cut off because if you continue to say something people continue to be caught. So we have to be skillful. The one who speaks has to be very skillful, using words and notions in such, in such a way that can help the listeners not to be caught in notions and words. And the listeners have to be careful not to be caught in what is being said and what notion is, uh, is offered. That is why skillfulness should be on both parts the speaker and the listener. So this is only an example. This is a a flash of consciousness, a perception. You conceive something and you you suppose that there is a subject of cognition. Suppose you see a deer and there should be the seer and the object uh, which is the deer. This is a sight. This moment of consciousness is called sight. La vie. And in that, in, that, uh, in that moment of consciousness, both object of cognition and subject of cognition manifest at the same time like left and right. There cannot be a subject existing alone. And there cannot be an object existing alone. And this is very important in the teaching of the Buddha. 
if you believe that the subject of cognition and the object of cognition are two separate entities that can exist separately, you are caught in what we call a double, the double grasping, double grasping. So to believe that there is a consciousness in here, reaching out to understand nature out there, you are caught. You are not caught only in the notion of, uh, of suffering an object, but you are caught also in the notion of inside and outside. So to think that outside of a consciousness there is a world of reality or not, that is already <clears throat> a, a grasping, double grasping. Double grasping. <clears throat> you are doubly caught. Nito. La double priest. Please remember this sheet of paper is a skillful means. <clears throat> I think this is a <clears throat> we can <clears throat> we can profit from it, but we should not be caught into the example. The left and the right lean on each other's in order to manifest at the same time. And without this that cannot be possible. That is how we should understand concerning the statement made by the Buddha. This is because that is. We understand in such a way that we do not discriminate against this and that. You cannot take this out of that. And uh, in the in the David Baum described this as the implicit, uh, implicate, explicate, the implicate order. The things are not really outside of each other. They are inside each other. The father is in the son. If you study hard enough, you see that in every cell of the son, there is a father. And so, <clears throat> and the father and the son, they are born at the same time. Because you call him a father only when his son is born. Before the birth of his son, you cannot call him father. That is why father and son manifest at the same time. If there is no father, there is no son. There is another way of looking. 
birth and death are the same. Without birth, no death is possible. And without death, birth is not possible. Birth should lean on death in order to manifest. And death should learn on birth in order to manifest. And birth or death is now. And to say that now is only life, death is down on the road later on. It's not true. And that kind of meditation helps us to remove fear. <coughs> fear of being and non-being. <coughs> And in Buddhist mắc tiếng So we distinguish between subject and object within the framework of uh, a perception. And we can, we may call this part of uh, the perception, the subject, kiến phần, and the other part, tướng phần, dakshana. and Nimitta Bhaga. And uh, in Buddhist psychology, we may talk about a third part, which serves as the foundation of both And for this uh, example, we can like it liken it to the the substance of the paper, the paste that is made with uh, trees, that the third. So it, 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 without discriminating uh, mind of discrimination, we can distinguish three parts. The first part is the left, the second part is right, and the third part is paper is the paste of paper. And you cannot take one out of the two other. In these three parts, you cannot take 
one or two out of the other. They inter are. If I ask uh, a Dharma teacher to come and take the left and go to Bogdo, he cannot do that. He has to bring <laughs> the right with him. And he has to, to bring the whole paper with him. So you cannot single out objects. You cannot single out subject and object. So although we distinguish this is the first part, the second part, the third part, but you cannot take them out of each other. They are inside of each other. But the word explicate or, the, or implicate others still are in court, court because uh, the notion of inside and outside is still there. You say that things are outside of order of each other, that is wrong. But you say things are inside of, of each other, it's equally wrong. So you have to remove the notion of inside and outside in order to be truly free. Because inside and outside is another pairs, pair of opposites. Because uh, when, we, when our consciousness manifests, we see something and we see that this may be, may be what we see. The reality outside may be different. <laughs> you see? When we think like that, we are caught. We are caught in the notion of inside and outside. In uh, physics, there are scientists who say that uh, the ultimate reality, that is the foundation of everything, may be, may be force fields. And they try to describe this. And basing on the force fields, everything manifests in terms of subject and object. And in Buddhist psychology, uh, sometimes we use uh, the word bija. Bija. Seeds. Chúng Because uh, according to Buddhist psychology, everything is a manifestation from a seed in our 
consciousness. There is a seat of anger somewhere in our consciousness. You cannot locate it. It cannot be located in time and space. But the seat of anger is somewhere there. Someone come and say something, suddenly the seat of anger is touched and there is a mental formation called anger manifesting. So when anger manifests in your, in, your, in your body and in your mind, it's called a formation. It's called a mental formation. Chitta samskara. That is energy, our anger. And that energy of anger comes from a seat of anger somewhere that you cannot locate. You cannot say that it is in this cell of your body or the other cell. But in, in Buddhism, not only our mental formations are manifested, manifested from seeds, but everything, like a flower, a pebble, a mountain, a galaxy, they are all manifested from seeds. And it may be interesting to compare the notion of bija to the notion of uh, force fields. This seed is uh, sometime uh, this kind of uh, power. is a kind of uh, energy. The kind of energy that has not manifested because it is uh, only a seed. Only when the seed sprouts and become a formation that you can recognize it. So we have the formation called mental formation. But our body, our body is also a formation. Kaya, kaya samskara. My hand is not a mental formation, it is a physical, it is a, a physiological formation. And this marker is not a mental formation. This marker is not a physiological formation. It is a physical formation. So according to the teaching of uh, the school of Vishnanapada, everything, whether they are mental or physiological or physical, they are manifestation of a kind of force. called Bija or Shakti. 
So the left and the right. On the sheet of paper, they manifest on the base of the of the base of paper. And that is only an example. Please remember. And you cannot take them apart and designate them as uh, independent objects. In the teaching of the Buddha, there is no reality outside of your perception. When your mind is pure, your mind is free from prejudices, preconceived ideas. When your mind is free from anger and hate and discrimination, and then the object of your mind reveals itself as the ultimate reality. When your mind is true mind, true mind, and then the object of your mind is uh, suchness. Tatata. The ultimate. It is nirvana. It is reality, the ultimate reality. So it depends on your mind. A deluded mind can only have uh, a distorted image of reality. So in order to reach to the ultimate reality, you don't have to go outside of the mind. You purify the mind, and then the ultimate will reveal itself. Otherwise, this is a distorted image of reality. And when your mind is a deleted mind, vong tâm, chân tâm, vong tâm. And this is a deluded uh, reality, vong cảnh. So when your mind is caught by duality, discrimination, you distinguish between mind and matter. Mind and matter has to separate separate uh, entities. Mind is, can only be mind. Mind cannot be matter. Matter is 
can only be matter and mind. Matter cannot be mind. That is dual grasping. So this is based on the principle of identity. A cannot be B. A can only be A. In the beginning, we believe that matter and energy, they are two different things. But finally, we discover that matter is energy, and energy is matter. Matter can be transformed into energy, and energy can be transformed into the matter. And we have gone far enough to see that both matter and energy, they are free of birth and death. That's not bad at all. And that is uh, the point of beginning, a point where we can begin science and Buddhism. It's a good, uh, good uh, ground to proceed on. Suppose we are caught in the duality of body and mind. Body and mind are two separate things. They are just the same thing. And it can be caught in our famous uh, dual grasping also. Like left and right. Left and right lean on each other to manifest from the same ground. So mind and matter should be like that. Mind and matter are just two aspects of the same thing. Mind can be matter. Matter can be mind. Sometimes it appears as mind. Sometimes else it appears as matter. It's like an elementary particle. Sometimes it appears like a wave. Sometimes it appears like a particle. Look at my hand. You can see the palm. And you can see the fist. The palm and the fist. They are not enemies. They are not outside of each other. They are both your hand. So what you, 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 what you describe, what, how can you describe that subatomic particle? Should you describe it as a wave? Or should you describe as uh, a particle? Should I describe my hand in terms of uh, palm or fist? If you are caught by the two signs, to, to, to nimitta, And you say that a wave cannot be a particle. And a particle cannot be a wave. The palm cannot be the fist. But in reality, both belong to the hand. So you may think that matter and mind are two different things. But maybe matter and mind are like left and right. They are two aspects of the same thing, like the sheet of paper. And you cannot take them out of each other. They belong to the implicate order.
Now, we should should it, uh, shall we talk about another kind of energy, the energy of anger, the energy of love, the energy of uh, despair, <coughs> the energy of hate and fear. Because they are real energies, because they are very powerful. Despair, the energy of despair can, can push someone to commit suicide or to kill another person. It's real energy, very strong. The destruction of the, the Twin Towers in New York was motivated by the energy of anger, the will to punish. That is the mind. But anger and fear and despair, they are energy. And scientists have to recognize them as energy. And you cannot destroy energy. You cannot say that when a person dies, there is nothing left. No. Nothing can die. You always continue. The problem is how you continue, more beautiful or less beautiful. And with the practice of um, looking deeply, practice of mindfulness, you can assure a better continuation. So we should ask the, the scientists where you know that energy, you cannot destroy energy. You cannot make this energy disappear. So the love, the hate, the fear, the anger, the compassion produced in our daily life, where do they go? Can they be lost? No. They continue always. And we have to to look. When I make a step like this, very mindful, very concentrated. I release the past, I release the future, I release my projects, I become a free person. Can you measure the degree of freedom in my step? And that, that freedom that I produce in walking can bring about joy and happiness. They can be nourishing and healing. Can you measure the degree of joy and healing in the step that I make? These, these are questions that can be addressed to scientists. And that energy of healing, of joy, of happiness will continue. And they will make the world a better place, a better reality. And that is the continuation. People use uh, the term reincarnation, which is very misleading. Because in the word reincarnation, This is the term khan, which means the flesh. There is a self. And when you die, 
the body disintegrates and the soul, the self, continue and penetrate into another body. That is uh, the notion of in- reincarnation. Re-enter into another uh, body and continue to live. That is not the Buddhist way. The Buddhist way is there is no self. There is a continuation. There is a continuum tương tục. Santati. But there is no self. You don't need a self in order to to be reborn. The cloud can be reborn into the rain. But it does not need a self in order to be reborn. And the rain can be reborn as my tea. And when I drink my tea, uh, later on, the tea can be reborn in a Dharma talk. So it continues. But you don't need a self, a soul, in order for continuation, because nothing can be lost. Nothing dies. So these are a few questions to be addressed to, to our friend scientist. Because still a number of scientists believe that after the dissolution of this body, there will be nothing left. And that they violate the law. To say something like that, you violate the law of conversation of matter and energy. And mind is energy. And energy can be, energy should be considered to be one aspect of reality. Because matter and energy are just two aspects of uh, the mind. And to qualify matter as something inanimate, inert, inert, is wrong. Because uh, how can consciousness, how can intelligence emerge from something dead? But matter is not dead. Matter is very alive. In quantum physics, you know that uh, <coughs> atoms and subatomic particles, they are very active. You cannot call it la uh, matière inert. It's very alive. And you can, you can sense intelligence and consciousness in every atom, in every uh, electron. Enjoy together the sutra on uh, enjoyment. What is beyond time and space? Page uh, fifty-one.
many of you have uh, have studied the Dhammapada, Pali version, and the translation of the Pali uh, version of the Dhammapada is very um, large. But there is a Chinese version of Dhammapada. And there are many chapters do not exist in the Pali edition. And this is one of the chapters that do not exist in the Pali edition, the chapter on Nirvana. And Nirvana here is not something that belongs to the future. It is called a visible Nirvana. You can see it in the here and the now. Diti Dhamma Nibbana. Hiện Pháp Niết Bàn Mấy cái viết của Thầy nó Dithidama means uh, visible, sometimes translated as Kiyan uh, Pháp. You can see it. The Sanskrit is uh, Drista Dharma Nirvana. And it is available in the Hyandana. You can see it. You can uh, translate it as visible, the visible nirvana. And nirvana is the greatest happiness. Describe it as greatest happiness. Let us uh, look on page uh, 52. Uh, verse number six. The deer take refuge in a deer park, <laughs> in a forest. The birds enjoy the sky and the clouds. And the wise people the sage enjoy 
นี่ฟันนะมันเฟสติชันเฟนมันดิเพนซ์ออนดิสคิมิตินไมน์เดอะทิร์ดไลน์อีสบาวต์วัตวีจัสดิสคัสดิสมอร์นิ่งวีซีทิงส์อะคอร์ดิ่งทูอัลมายน์ออฟดิสคิมิเนชันวีดิสติงกิชบิตินมัตเตอร์แอนด์มายน์อินไซด์แอนด์เอาไซด์เบอร์ทันเดอร์ทันซอน But uh, what uh, is important in this verse is that uh, there are two beautiful examples: the deers they enjoy in the forest, freedom, and they, they are happiest when they are in the forest. And the birds they are happiest when they are in the sky. And human beings. If they want to be happy, they should should they should go to nirvana in the here and the now. They don't need to die in order to go to nirvana. They can touch nirvana. It means they have to learn how to to leave the realm of conventional truth in order to touch to arrive at the ultimate truth. Instead of uh, Uh, of uh, being caught in the world of birth and death, being a non-being, coming and going, uh, they enjoy being uh, living in the realm of no birth and no death, no being and no non-being, and this is possible for wise people with. Uh, a True mind, with a mind of uh, which is free from uh, from uh, discrimination, free from all notions, with a mind that is free from all afflictions like fear, craving, anger. It is possible for a man, a woman, to enjoy freedom of nirvana. Nirvana. Is the realm of freedom, and first of all, freedom from all these notions like birth and death, being and non-being, <coughs> and all the afflictions like fear, anger, despair that are born from these notions. Because the notion of being and non-being are the ground of all kind of anxiety and fear. The notions of uh, uh, self, the notion of lifespan, the notion of coming and going—all these notions can bring about many kinds of suffering, many kinds of afflictions. So nirvana is the absence of afflictions, and these afflictions are born from these notions. That is why nirvana is. The absence of all these notions, also. Nirvana, it means sometimes extinction, cooling, cooling down. The cooling down of all afflictions. Afflictions are like the flame burning. Craving is a flame, and when you are 
burned, been burned by the flame of craving, you have no peace, you have no happiness. So there is a way to put down the flame of craving. Uh, you are being burned by the flame of anger, and you suffer body and mind. There must be a way to put down the flame of anger. So putting down all flames means extinction, it means uh, cooling down, because that is uh, the original meaning of uh, nirvana, the cooling down, the extinction of fire. And in order to extinguish the fire, you have to extinguish something else. That is the notions that have have given birth to these afflictions, like the notion of being and non-being, birth and death, and so on. And you don't have to go anywhere. It's the same cloud, but in the conventional realm of truth, you see birth and death coming and going, being and non-being. But uh, with mindfulness and concentration, you look more deeply and you discover that the same cloud is free from birth and death, from being and non-being. And this is possible in the here and the now. And if the deers enjoy uh, the forest, the birds enjoy the empty sky, and the enlightened people they like to sojourn, to spend time in nirvana, nirvana in the here and the now. So this uh, chapter describes nirvana in a very positive way. It's a happy, happy abode. It's like the kingdom of God. In nirvana, There is no more distinction between um, discrimination between happiness and suffering. Uh, uh, We know we know how to handle uh, suffering. We know how to handle happiness. We know that happiness and suffering inter are, and we do not make choice running only after uh, happiness and running away from suffering. So the, disc, the mind of discrimination is no longer there. In the world of birth and death, in the world of samsara, lung hoi, there is suffering. But behind, deep in the heart of the world of suffering, there is the world of uh, no birth, no death, no coming, no going. Let us look at the verse number. Number 13. Omans. In the world there is the born, the becoming, the made, and the compounded. But there is also the not born, 
the non-becoming, the not made, and the not compounded. This is a very famous uh, statement of the Buddha on Nirvana. You can find uh, it in Udana, uh, section 8. Let us uh, read the Chinese. Hutation. Hutakan. It's a very old Chinese. It's so difficult. Devotion. My dear friends, the monks, in the world there is uh, birth. In the conventional realm, there is birth. It means there is birth and death. There is birth and death. There is a being and non-being. This is opposite of this. And the Buddha only mentioned one. There is birth, there is being. It means there is birth and death, there is being and non-being. I'm sorry. There is birth, there is being, and there is uh, creation, made. You can create something and you can destroy something. You can have a big bang, big bang, and you have a big crunch. <laughs> and there is a conditioned things, conditioned things. There are formations. There are flowers that are made of non-flower elements. There are men that is made of non-man elements. There is Buddha that is made of non-Buddha elements, formations. My dear friends, the monks, in the world, 
in the realm of uh, conventional truth. There is birth and death. There is being and non-being. There is creation and destruction. There is uh, condition and un- unconditioned. But there is also the no-birth. The no-birth. If you go deeper, you will touch the realm of ultimate truth. And through birth and death, you touch the truth of no birth and no death. Votion, it means voter uh, at the same time. There is no becoming. It means no non-becoming. Because if there is being, and then there is the opposite, which is non-being. There is, there is unmade, not created. You remove the notion of creation. And you remove the notion of destruction. And you remove the notion of uh, of uh, formations. There are formations like anger, like love, like body, like a mind, like a mountain, like river, they are all impermanent and they can create suffering if you are attached to them. But if you touch the conditioned Dharma deeply, you touch the unconditioned reality. On the surface, it looks like there are separate, uh, separated uh, objects, but uh, in fact, uh, uh, there is a non-conditioned behind, serving as the foundation of the condition. If you belong to the Christian uh, tradition, you may compare the notion of regard as the ultimate. And uh, to uh, to enjoy uh, the realm of nirvana is like uh, to to rest rest in God, resting in God. Resting in God is uh, to live to live the world of birth and death, being and non-being, in order to be with ultimate, because God is the ultimate. God is free from being and non-being, creation and non-creation. And you abandon the kind of theology you have uh, followed uh, before, with creation and destruction and so on. And you touch the realm of nirvana, you abandon all notions and uh, you enjoy the greatest freedom. 
in the Pali version, and you see Ati. Bikave Ajatang Bhutang Akatan Sankhatan Monks, there is something that is not born, that is not subject to being and non-being, that is non-created, that is uh, non-conditioned, and that is uh, the original in Pali. The Sanskrit for Akatam is Akritam. And the Sanskrit of Asakam, Asamkatam is Samskrita. Vohan. And this is Votak. not made, not conditioned, not made. Not being and non-being, and not born. So Nirvana is described as uh, the ground of a reality that is free from birth and death, being and non-being, made a creation and destruction, and conditioned and non-conditioned. And this is a confirmation that there is there is a non non-birth, no born, not born. There is a not born, not becoming, not made, not conditioned. Otherwise, all the things in the realm of uh, birth and death, being and non-being, have no place to come back to, <coughs> have no place to rely on to, to rely on to. We shall have uh, half an hour, have a cup of tea, and then we shall try to enjoy Nirvana in the here and the now, <laughs> practicing walking meditation. You need some insight of no birth, no death, in order to connect really with Mother Earth and discover your nature of no birth and no death. We are free. Only the notions that we have got make us uh, um, unhappy. But if we are able to touch deeply our body and the body of Mother Earth, we discover 
our true nature of no birth and no death. And, you, and we can enjoy every step. Every step becomes healing and uh, nourishing. <laughs>